gives us nothing but take from them everything. And welcome back to the Metal Hand of God podcast. I am your host, Wayne, and this lovely gentleman with me today is... The Rum Guy. Of course. And today we have a very special guest uh, coming from a long distance. The man himself, Mr. David Fielding. How are you, sir? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Sorry about that. I've been having this, you know, with all the sicknesses that are going on around these days, I have actually got bronchitis. So it's, I've been dealing with throat issues and this and that. So sorry if I stumbled. That's all right. But uh, Mr. David Fielden is known for being Zordon on the Power Rangers. And just so you know, man, that's super, super freaking cool. Uh, (laughs) I mean, it really, really is, man. Like, Wayne has been a huge Power Rangers fan forever. Yeah, dude. Ever since I've known him, so it's 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 amazing. And I remember watching it too. So it was, and I was like, Zordon. Why do I know that name? I was like, Who's the big head? <laughs> yeah. Are you both ready to teleport to the command center? <laughs> yes, dude. That's so good. That's so awesome. Oh man. It's amazing because we know you from that, but you've had a long career. Yes. Uh, doing yeah. many things. Um, and I understand you now have a book out, which I'm interested to talk to you about, too. I'd like to hear that right out the gate. I want to know about this book. Sure. Uh, the book uh, uh, was published by Caffeine and Ink. They're a, a small independent publisher. Uh, the title of the book is Glimpse, a Lincoln Bright novel, uh, which... Uh, tells uh, the first installment of the character uh, Lincoln Bright. Uh, Lincoln Bright is a uh, an attuned, and what that means is that he can see and hear things that other people can't. Um, what he, uh, what most of us would understand to be like ghosts or phantoms, he refers to as glims, uh, and these are the leftover uh, negative baggage that some people leave behind when they pass pass away. Whoa, that's and, cool. These glims uh, are anchored to someone else in the real world that they sort of uh, feed off of. And Lincoln's, Lincoln has taken upon himself um, uh, to sort of shut these things down because if he doesn't, uh, they create uh, holes in the world where other nasty things can crawl through and start to eat and devour people. So uh, he is sort of, you know, fighting a losing battle against all, because so many people die all over the place. Um, uh, he, you know, he has to jump from point to point to try to try to shut these things down. And, and the first novel basically concerns himself being uh, introduced to a young autistic boy named Petey, who is 14 years old and who is exactly like Lincoln. He can see and hear these things too. So Lincoln not only has to sort of, uh, protect this young boy he also sort of has to sort of like ease him into the world that he now lives in so that's amazing <clears throat> yeah that sounds awesome like really like that's this that's kind of stuff that me and rum are actually into reading and, and I, uh get I into. would love to read this. yeah sure. like you know what ghost stuff and the paranormal and then not only that but like you know 
other things like um, Bigfoot, you know, scary stuff like that. Yeah, uh, I can cool. send you the link to to where you guys can take a look at it or whatever. Sweet. Oh, that'd be fantastic. We would appreciate that a lot. Ugh. But this is this is uh, this is wow. This is I wasn't expecting this type of. I mean, what? How did this come to be? I mean, with 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 this type of storyline, how long did this take you to to come into? I mean, um, well, uh, I've been writing since I was like eleven. Uh, I I read a whole lot when I was growing up. Uh, <clears throat> started reading when I was like three or four, and and just really gravitated towards uh, uh, all all kinds of stories, really. But. Um, uh, I read a lot of Greek myths and uh, pulp stories like uh, The Shadow and Tarzan of the Apes and nice. uh, Warlord of Mars and all that pulp stuff. And then from there, I moved on into uh, uh, fantasy novels, Lord of the Rings, uh, the Thomas Covenant novels, just a bunch of fantasy stuff. And then, of course, around that time, around <laughs> <clears throat> around the time I was like, 16, 17, I started playing a lot of Dungeons and Dragons. And, and, what? Uh, yeah. <clears throat> and sort of exploring that new sort of way of telling stories of uh, this interactive medium where, you know, people can add to or detract from the story to based, based on their actions. And, uh, and then also at the same time, I was very uh, into... Uh, Stephen King and Dean Koontz and all these sort of uh, horror writers, Clive Barker. Um, <clears throat> and uh, so all this stuff was like getting stored into the back of my brain. You know, my, I would just soak it up like a sponge. Right. And uh, I, I always fooled around with writing, uh, but never really got serious about it until about 10 years ago. Um because after I left uh, Hollywood, I moved back to the East Coast and got involved in the video game industry, doing voices for video games and then writing for video games, uh, writing uh, hint books and um, the clue manuals and stuff that would that would go for these video games. And then I got hired to do uh, quality assurance testing or QA testing for video games. And then from there, I moved into design and did... Uh, Level building and level design, wow. and quest quest design for video games, um, and so I was I was like honing all this sort of like uh, tools, and, and it seems to, at least from my perspective, it seemed to take a really long time before I got to the point where I felt like, well, I should really start to try to put stuff out there. Right. And uh, about about ten years ago, uh, I started submitting stories to uh, anthologies that were looking for. Um, all, all a variety of, of different stuff. So I, I submitted superhero stories. I submitted steampunk stories, uh, some paranormal stories. I got published by Delta Green, which was um, uh, they they Delta Green is an imprint of uh, I think Chaosium or it was Chaosium. Oh, uh, they did okay, the, yeah, the, mm -hmm. yeah. The HP uh, Lovecraft uh, stuff and Delta Green was sort of like their modern day take on uh high tech versus the eldritch horrors and all that kind of stuff so i was really excited to be published by them yeah and, that's really cool uh, uh and i self-published a superhero novel called vigilance and then uh just kept submitting stuff source point press was it was a great boon for me because 
they published a couple of chapters from my superhero novel, and then uh, they put out a uh, a book called Oddities that I did, which was a trilogy of uh, short no- novels or, or novellas, uh, three novellas uh, in that book. And then um, in 2013, I I just had this story idea with, with this character named Lincoln Bright, who could see and hear these things that other people couldn't, and spent about... Uh, three or four months really sort of developing and homing, honing that short story, which was called Buddy Holly in the cold, cold ground. And, uh, <laughs> that was published cool. by a, uh, uh, a small uh, publishing company that, that unfortunately went under and you, you can no longer, uh, get that version of it. But that, that short novella, uh, Buddy Holly in the cold, cold ground is included with oddities. Uh, put oh, out okay. Uh, and that's really where the birth of the character came. And then I had a, an idea for a longer version, a, a story. And uh, through a mutual acquaintance, I got uh, partnered up with Caffeine and Ink. And uh, they worked with me to edit it and to get it down into, into uh, a really enjoyable uh, read. And uh, it came out on February 14th of this year. Wow, man. That is incredible. I mean, you just told us this, and it's like, <laughs> this is what I heard. I heard, so I started off awesome, and I just got more awesome. <laughs> and, and then all of a sudden, bam, guess what? I'm awesomer. That's even a thing. Awesomer. Yeah, okay. Way to go. This this, this is amazing. I mean, it's, it's you have done so much. Yeah, man, you've been working your ass off, dude. <laughs> Holy cow. Uh, that's, it's funny that you put it that way, because from, from my perspective, I'm like, man, I'm I'm not. I'm not getting anywhere. <laughs> so, it's really nice to hear somebody say, "Wow, you're awesome." I'm like, "Well, thank you very much." Everybody. Yeah, so, man. Uh, yeah, that's, please, that's impressive. Definitely a compliment. Yeah, it's... that is that is amazing. For for I mean, when you when you started this journey, when when you okay, when you were that kid, just reading those books and sitting around, you know, and you're in school, and you're like, "Ah, oh, God, what am I going to do when I grow up?" Is this the track you thought you were taking? <laughs> uh, not at first, no, because when I when I was in the fifth grade, I wanted to be a highway patrolman. Uh, oh, wow. I, I wanted to be a policeman. Uh, my my friend, though, Steve, told me, he goes, you know, policemen get shot. And I'm like, oh, that's right. Um, oh, I think I'm going to change my mind now. <laughs> I said, well, maybe I'll play one on TV. And that way, if I get shot on TV, I could be a knock doctor the next week. And, and so that's sort of like... <laughs> Uh, spring was the springboard for my interest into acting and performing. Man, man that's well, that, that, that's amazing, absolutely. <laughs> and and then through all this, through through this thing, somehow you got involved. And I, I we've got to go there. You've well, got of you got involved with with Power Rangers, right? But how did I'm I'm sitting? I'm going. I asked Wayne earlier. I'm like, wasn't it the the it. It, it was it was a, a Japanese company, wasn't it? Uh... Um, well, the origins of Power Rangers is is very interesting. If you um, uh, if you have the time, check out the uh, the Netflix show, uh, the Toys That Made Us. There's there's a um... oh, I saw that, but I hadn't I didn't watch it yet. Yeah, it's an episode all about the Power Rangers toys because uh, Power Rangers grew out of the Japanese. Uh, television show Super Sentai. Super Sentai is a something that started like in I think 74, 1974. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, 
the tokusatsu, uh, which is basically uh, special effects. Uh, basically, it's a hero who transforms. Uh, you know, he says he says a, a power word or a code word or or whatever, and he he transforms into the super being who has powers that he normally wouldn't have. And that's been going on since like 1974. And uh, very much like the musical group Menudo, they they changed casts. <laughs> uh, they they change cast every every year or every season or whatever. And so by the time that Haim Saban saw it in the early to mid 80s, um, it had been going on for quite some time. And Haim saw it and. Uh, he thought it was wonderful. He thought, well, there has to be a way for this to translate to the American audience because right. this is a gold mine. And so in the mid to late 80s, he, he started to work on a pilot called Bioman. And I believe Mark DeCascos, uh, who was in the uh, John Wick Chapter 3, he's he played mm -hmm. Zero, the, the bald uh, guy. Oh, okay. Great actor, yeah. uh, a wonderful, wonderful guy. He was the lead in that Um and they shot a pilot called Bioman, and and uh, none of the studios picked it up. None of them under really understood it. Huh. And uh, but the episode of the toys that made us goes into the whole history of that. And uh, the woman who's oh I, I can't remember her name, who uh, understood exactly what Heim was going for, and she took the chance. She was uh, I think uh, the head of programming for Fox Kids at that time, and uh, so they took a chance. And so in the summer of 1992. Um, I had just wrapped up my uh, MFA program at the University of Pittsburgh and had moved out to California. Um, before that, I had had gone to uh, my undergrad was uh, at Southwest Texas State University in San Marcos, Texas, and I had made a great deal of friends there. And a lot of those friends had had moved to California ahead of me. Uh, I had chose to uh, go to the University of Pittsburgh to get my Master of Fine Arts. Uh, in acting. And so I spent three more years uh, studying before I moved out to California. And in the summer of 92, I moved out and had been living there for a couple of months when I got a call from a friend from uh, my school days in Texas, who was working on the production team of this pilot for this kid's TV show that they were shooting. And she said, would you like to audition for it? And I said, well, yeah, sure. That's that's why I'm out here. Yeah, why not? Uh, um, I thought it was going to be a cattle call. I thought I would go down uh, to a building and there would be 15,000 other guys. I'd go in, I'd read my lines, do my two minute take on the camera, go home and never hear anything. Right. Uh, but when I got home, when I got uh, to the Saban building that afternoon or evening, um, uh, it was just me and another guy. And oh. they told us, Hey, we're going to cast it tonight. Uh, and we're going to shoot it next week. <laughs> and, uh, I was like, wow, that's really unusual. That's really fast. And I came to find out that they had already been filming the pilot. They had done a number of weeks uh, of filming. And uh, the scene for Zordon, or Zoltar at the time, he was, he was called Zoltar. <laughs> Zoltar. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, that was going to be the last shot of the shoot. They were going to shoot it like on a Wednesday or Tuesday or whatever. Uh, and uh, I said, yeah, okay, sure. And uh, the only direction I was given for the monologue was that you're a 10,000-year-old wizard. You're trapped in a time warp. Go. Nice. <laughs> and uh, we, you know, they basically had the, the monologue that, that Zordon reads in the first episode about uh, all of them, you know, their their different traits. And, right, their and powers and different all powers that. and stuff. 
so the first gentleman goes into the room and, and, you know, they close the door and I'm sitting out the lobby, you know, just going over my lines trying to, you know, figure out how I'm going to do this. And I could hear him, you know, rehearsing uh, in the opposite corner for me. And he was going through this really sort of weird, uh, kind of a high pitch take. Uh, you know, he was like, Power Ranger, man. And I was like, well, I don't really know if that's the kind of tact you want to take with that. So I went the opposite direction. And uh, after he'd been in there for about 20 minutes, uh, I went in and I, I met the director and the producers and the uh the Fox heads and, and uh, the original cast was there as well. Wow. And they had me uh, stand up on a table and I read the lines and I remember very distinctly Austin St. John, the, the original Red Ranger mm. saying, well, I think we found our Zoltar. And uh, I went home and I, and I got a phone call two hours later saying, congratulations, uh, you got the part. Here's where you show up for the shoot. And are you okay if we shave all your hair off? <laughs> <laughs> You're like... <laughs> Yeah, fuck it. All right, right, let's go for it. That other man that was in that casting room was Robert De Niro. <laughs> I, I was, you know, you, you, no, you, I'm you, joking. You, I don't know. You beat me to that because I was going to say it was Patrick Stewart. <laughs> well, funny, funny thing is, uh, the recording studio where we where we recorded the lines was also the same studio where they were recording lines for the Next Generation. So <laughs> I, I passed them going in the elevator a couple times. So and yeah. see, and that's funny because I, I I wanted to make sure that Generations were still going on. So I looked it up on IMDb. Like they finished in '94. And yeah. and Power Rangers in '93, so I was like, "Yep, Patrick Stewart. He was trying to get his next job, so he was going in there to get that that voiceover, man." But I re- I remember how big um, I, I, the the Power Rangers hit the U.S. market. It blows uh, me away, man. It blows me away it, that it's still going on the, today. And I have a four-year-old son that is now into the Power Rangers. He watches the first season, the original, like the ones you guys were on. And yeah. and it just blows me away that my four year old kid is is like into something you know like that I would watch or something along those lines you know. I mean they they really captured lightning in a bottle with that thing. I mean it's uh, you know at the time uh, when they described the show to me I I was fairly excited about it because I grew up watching Ultraman and Spectre Man and yeah I was gonna say Ultraman uh, man. Yeah, kaiju, you know, the Godzilla and, and yeah. the monsters. So when they were talking about big giant robots fighting rubber monsters, I'm like, oh, that is awesome. That is so cool. Uh, so uh, I kind of, you know, dug the vibe of, of, of the show from the, from the get-go. Uh, unfortunately, uh, my experience with it was, was really kind of bittersweet because um, uh, after we had finished uh, the day of filming um, – uh, they said, well, you know, we'll call you if the show gets picked up. And I'm like, OK, well, I'm not going to hold my breath because the the standard, you know, line in Hollywood is that, you know, there's a hundred pilots filmed during pilot season and three or four of them get picked up. So right. Right. Uh, I didn't understand how close they were to the Fox kids and 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 how really uh close they were to sealing the deal i was just sort of like you know i was just an unknown actor who was doing you know his job and got paid my day player rate and went home and um didn't wasn't really privy to all the stuff that was going on behind the scenes so uh i was very surprised uh and happy you know three weeks later when they called and said hey congratulations the show's been picked up i'm like great fantastic when do i show up to film they're like oh well we're not going to film you so they basically took all the footage that we filmed on that one day 
and basically treated it the same way they did with the Japanese footage. They just recycled it from episode to episode. And um, from a business standpoint, it's incredibly smart that, that they uh, they got that footage and then were able to use it for five or six seasons and never had to pay anybody for it. And uh, from an actor's standpoint, it, it sucked really yeah, hard. Yeah, sucked. it sucks, uh, dude. Uh, but you know, at the same time, you know, uh, I, I remember going over to a friend's house that first morning that it aired and seeing my name pop up in the credits and was just, you know, giddy like a school kid, uh, when I saw that, uh, but at the same time, I felt very disconnected from the show. I didn't feel like I was a part of it because, um, I would only get called in like every five or six weeks to do voiceovers and, we would record three or four episodes at a time, whatever they had finished in the can. And I was never on set with any of the guys. I never really met them um, and hung out with them and spent any time with them uh, until 20 years later, until uh, 2014 when we started doing uh, comic conventions and stuff. Yeah, uh, I was going to ask the- you about that. I was going to ask you if you did a lot of cons or um, <clears throat> you like to do them, you know? Uh, well, I mean... Around 2011, uh, after after Facebook kind of blew up, uh, I, I would get a message every now and then from somebody saying, hey, were you the guy that was Zordon on Power Rangers? And I said, oh, yeah. And that's sort of what it was for me. I mean, it, it was sort of like a, a, a nice little anecdote that I could tell people at parties. It was like, oh, yeah, I was on a kid's television show. And they'd go, oh, wow. Uh, and I didn't even know that the show was still going on. I, I, had, <laughs> been, I had been too busy... Uh, you know, working in video games and 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 basically being awesome. Yeah, we right, established. right. We we knew that. <laughs> and so I, I was like, oh wow, that show's still going on. And and I actually had to do some research and figure out what was going on with the show uh, because in 2011 I I got uh, asked to be a part of Tekka Showcon, which is a uh, an anime convention that takes place in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And, yes. Um, uh, that was the first time that I sat up on stage in front of an audience of people and understood um, how much the character and how much the show meant to these people. And it was rather humbling uh, and uh, surprising to me to hear the stories of people who uh, were either latchkey kids or they came from a broken home. And Power Rangers really sort of got them through some really dark times. Yeah. And so... Uh, that was that was very uh, eye-opening for me to, to learn about that. And then uh, in that was the only con I did for like three years. And then in 2014, Scott Zilner, who owns Power Morphicon, which is the big Power Rangers convention that happens every two years out in California, uh, he contacted me and, and asked me if I would like to be a part of uh, Power Morphicon that year. And I said, I'd love to. I just... I can't afford to fly myself up and put myself in a hotel. And he's like, oh, no, we'll take care of that. And that was my first thinking of like, oh, well, I I didn't realize that. Uh, uh, <laughs> that, you know, conventions would, would fly people out. Would help you like, out, yeah. Yeah, I was I was like, wow, well, I'm, I'm nobody. Why would, why would you do anything like that for me? And um, that was the first time that I got to see the real <laughs> Power Rangers fandom and – uh, how passionate and how big it is, and that must have been weird. Uh, it was it was very weird because at that time I was I was very uncomfortable with um, uh, how everything worked at a convention, and so uh, I was I was contacted by contacted by the group No Hate 
to uh, participate as part of their photo shoot that was going on at the convention that year. Uh, and I asked them if I could get a donation box to put on my table that so that if anybody gave me money uh, for an autograph or whatever, it would just go into that box and I would give it to, to the No Hate campaign. Um, and that's that's also the year that I met my agent who then started booking me uh, into these shows and sort of like uh, gave me a, not not really a knock upside the head, but really sort of like a, a tap on the shoulder and said, you know what? this is really sort of the residuals that you should have gotten from the show. So don't feel bad about uh, people wanting to give you money uh, for an autograph or something. That's, that's something that they want. That's something that's precious to them. So be grateful that they want to do that. And, you know, just consider it as, uh, you know, payment for, for services that you did 25 years ago. So right. um, yeah, that's, that's sort of how I look at it now. And, and, uh, I'm so very grateful to to be a part of this uh, worldwide pop culture phenomenon that allows me to uh, travel to different countries and to meet people from all over the world and sort of share their stories and understand that, you know, we're all much more alike than we are different. And um, to me, that, you know, that was really sort of like why I think the show was really popular is that it took this diverse group of kids that, um, you know, had this message of, Hey, we're all in this together and we're friends and we're going to, we're have each other's backs. And, yeah. and that's, uh, I it, think, it was you know, so yeah, I mean, I mean, there's a lot of people I meet at conventions that, that are in these, you know, big, huge franchises like, uh, Halloween and, uh, you know, Friday the 13th and sort of stuff. And we all have our different likes and dislikes and, you know, what gravit what grabs us and what doesn't grab us, uh, you know, and some of those things I, I find are, you know, they're really cool and stuff. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, it's about cutting people up and, and stabbing people. And is that really sort of the message that you want to, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, even even though, you know, my book is is, you know, uh, urban horror or, or whatever, uh, uh and, and we can talk about that in a little bit, but I mean, you know, sure. uh, the Power Rangers really is, I mean, you, you can take, look at it one way as sort of like this uh, rated G with extra cheese, as Karen Ashley says, uh, uh, you know, this, <laughs> this product that, that's very uh, simple and uh, cheesy on the surface, but on, on under, underneath, uh, if you really look at it, it, it really does have this great message of inclusion and support and friendship and... Uh, it's just very, that, very cool to be a part of it. That's what the show was, really. It was, it was more the message than anything else. It was when I when I was watching it. When I when I remember watching it, I always thought it was like, well, this is cool because <laughs> at the time, which was great, it was great timing on their part because the the concept of ninjas was really huge. Everybody wanted to be a ninja. Yeah, ninja turtles ninja were stuff everywhere. That was that was like ninja the turtles were coming big, out. Yeah. yeah. So you you had this, and then all of a sudden you had. What are these rainbow space ninjas? This is awesome. What's going on here? So, yeah, and then, then yeah, that, flooding that the concept, market with all that stuff was crazy. Yeah, that concept really started like in the late seventies with Chuck Norris and the Octagon and and uh, the ninja movies that came out in the eighties. That which yeah. then bled over into Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and uh, GI Joe. You know, with Snake Eyes, and they all had oh, these yeah. ninja and stuff and. Uh, so I think the natural progression 
you know, that, you know, Americans were really sort of ready and primed for uh, the Japanese Sentai stuff where you have these kids in bright costumes who were jumping about and, you know, kicking each other and, and uh, you know, they had bows and arrows and, and swords and axes and all this other kind of stuff to fight off these big rubber monsters or big giant purses or whatever it was. <laughs> uh, so I, I think they were right. You know, like I said, it was lightning in a bottle. They, it was at the right moment at the right time. Yeah. And they, you know, as, as the, uh, you know, it was all about the toys. They, they had a ready made line of toys ready and waiting to go. And, you know, they made a billion dollars that first year. And I got to say that, uh, when I came from a small town and the, uh, when they were really promoting the, 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 uh, the toys, there was a, a store called, uh, it was a department store in my area. It was called Hills. Mm-hmm. And they, uh, they, uh, they had the, I'm sure it wasn't the, 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 the cast, but they had the power Rangers show up at the mall. Nice to to do the promotions like hey we're the mighty morphin you know that whole thing that they used to do they don't do that type of stuff anymore but they uh would come up in the mall and there's the power rangers and the music's playing and everybody runs on the stage and they're 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 talking good messages and they're fighting the bad guys that they're with their that they're everybody was kung fu fighting and the whole thing going on (laughs) and uh then they got some kids up on the stage right and they were they were talking to the kids and they were it was all about good messages and and the parents were there and uh, KB Toys and all these other toy places were there, and they're like, "We have the whole line of the Power Rangers stuff," and it was really great. So uh, I never told you this story, Wayne. I don't say maybe I did. I don't know. No, you didn't. You, didn't. Uh, you never told me this. One. I didn't. Okay. Well, I'm on the stage. Uh, one of the kids um, on this on the stage, and the the everybody's again. Uh, all the, the the Power Rangers are going to defend us from the bad guys, the bad ninja people that are coming up on the stage, right? So they're, they're grabbed and they, they, they kind of block and they were doing the blocks and they're doing the kicks and everything like this. Well, the uh, pink ranger on stage turned and I moved and I got clocked. <laughs> I had a full face clock. I mean, I got hit and I went down and the whole audience went, oh, and everybody was like, oh, and I know you could hear some their minds go shit. <laughs> what just happened? And I popped back up and I went, I'm okay. And they're like, yay, we're not going to get sued. And everybody <laughs> was happy. And uh, But I got a whole big thing of toys because of that. And I had a bunch of Power Ranger stuff. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, it, was a good, it, was a good, it was a good day. I, I, I walked out of there with a bunch of Power Ranger stuff. I, ha- I have an interesting question. And, and, and then there are some friends out there that, that would kill me if I did not ask this question. But... Do you feel when the Power Rangers came out, okay, like when that when the show hit? I know you weren't. You said you weren't really at the shows or anything like that. But do you feel that when the Power Rangers came out, it was the death of Saturday morning cartoons? Hmm. Interesting uh, question because. Uh... At the time that we were doing the show, or uh, when I was in, in the recording booth with these guys, uh, my thought was the show would last a couple of years, like Sigmund and the Sea Monsters, then it would disappear and nobody would ever hear anything. Because <laughs> at, the, at, at that time, um, 
the only conventions that were out were like the Star Trek conventions. There wasn't right. a, there wasn't Comic Con or anything like that. So there wasn't any sort of like uh, second life after the show or whatever. And um, not really being a part of the production, not really seeing how everything was being stitched together, um, not, not not being uh, privy to, you know, the, the three-year plan or whatever they had for it, the marketing or whatever. Uh, yeah, I, I, would, I just assumed that it would fade after time, that nobody right. would think about it. But um, I, I think there are a number of things, a number of factors that, that led to the death of Saturday morning cartoons and, and – uh, I think a lot of that has to do with cable and the Cartoon Network and Adult Swim and stuff like that that started to do animation in prime time rather than just in the mornings or, or yeah. for I kids having specials or whatever. Yeah, I uh, understand what you're saying with that. Yeah, I can see that. <clears throat> uh, the other thing I wanted to point out dur during that great little story about uh, being at the mall was you, you talked about the music. And I think the music of Power Rangers um, it is responsible for one third if not one half of the success of that show ron wasserman and the guys that put the music together for that show did such an amazing job of you know capturing that electrified rock that just that opening theme <laughs> everybody jumps up and you know becomes a ninja whenever they <laughs> yeah that. you're right <laughs> sure because uh, it had that it had that vibe of because uh, we were so used to i mean in my, in, in my generation so used to Having that, uh, uh, what is it? The uh, not Schoolhouse Rock. What was it? The you know what I'm talking about, Wayne, with the the stories after it was like high school type. They always had electric guitar, and there was always yeah. stories. Um, but I can't remember what they called it. Three, two, one, contact, maybe. No, 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 no. It was a uh, after school specials. That's what they were. Oh, called. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but they always had that electric rock theme music that You're was right. coming in. Yeah. And it, that theme music always reminded me of that. And I was like, well, that's just, that really gets you hyped up. It was just well done. And I yeah. think you're right. I, I think that music was great. That added a lot to it. Oh, if, if the music wasn't there, I guarantee it wouldn't have hooked half the people. Because, I mean, that that, that really, when I first heard the theme, I, that's what kind of drug me into watching the show. Yeah. I mean, the Go-Go Power Rangers, that's that's an earworm that any five-year-old can just grasp onto. <laughs> exactly. Repeat ad nauseum, you know, just go go Power Rangers, and so I mean, it was sure. just really, yeah. really. You yeah, know. I, I find out my four year old plays that at daycare, and and, and the teacher's like, "Yeah, I got to stop the boys from beating the hell out of each other because they play Power Rangers." Yeah, we, we were. They were. There was a lot of angry adults. I mean, they, they actually had to do like a number of uh, PSAs. The the actors had to like do these really? PSAs where they would tell kids, you know, to to tone down, tone things down, and. And to, uh, you know, try not to be, you know, violent. And, you know, in the in the original pilot that they shot, there's a lot of kicks to the head and <laughs> uh, contact shots that, that the guys were doing with the stunt guys. That I know, I felt it. Yeah, the studio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right there in the mall. Uh, <laughs> but the studio heads came back and said, you can't do that anymore. You can't do any more kicks to the head because... Parents were complaining about broken lamps and, and broken windows, <laughs> uh, black eyes and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, they had to tone that down. But That's uh, amazing. What a bunch of wieners. Yeah. <laughs>
Uh, I mean, you know, I remember coming up as a kid. My my mom, I'd watch like Dukes of Hazard or some shit on TV and go outside with my big wheel bicycle and try to jump a ramp like an idiot. Yeah. You know, he still does it. I do. I do still do it. I still have my big wheel. You know, me, me growing up, I I was all about Evil Knievel, and that guy was all Hell about yeah. <laughs> no safety net, all danger. You know, all broken all bones. Time. Oh yeah, I was always oh, yeah. Looking, I was always looking for a ditch that I could jump over. I was like, Man, he's like the Caucasian Jackie Chan. That's right, awesome. right. He did his own stunts except Jackie Chan. Jackie Chan, he made most of his. Yeah, yeah. Evil Knievel, he fell a lot. Right. <laughs> we we won't mention Snake Canyon. <laughs> no, uh, uh, no, no, no. Don't do that. <laughs> Well, let's get back to your books. I know, yes. I know you've done other things. You've done the video games and everything. And which I, is I, which is very cool because we're we're huge video game guys. Actually, the huge show. Huge video game. That's how the show actually became. It got its birth. It was me and Justin met each other playing video games. We play. We're playing Halo Live, and uh-huh. that's how we met. And that's how we became. And that's been nine years of for the show. And me and him have been knowing each other for like fifteen years now. So yeah, it's crazy. But the, the, the books, I'm, the, um, I'm interested in this because they're – would you say the, 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 the book is uh, – would you say it's a uh, teen horror? Or is it everybody kind of a – what genre would you call the book? I mean when it came for like age range, is it, does it – for any age? Uh, I, think it's, I think it's geared toward the uh, higher end of the young adult. I mean it, it – it, a young adult and adult, I mean – when I was writing it, uh, I was writing it, you know, trying to, you know, uh, emulate my heroes like Stephen King and Dean Koontz and, and Clyde Barker. Mm-hmm. So there's a fair amount of profanity in it. There's uh, uh, some very nasty situations. Uh, so uh, I, I wouldn't place it, you know, directly into the young adult market. But I mean, anybody who's like the age of 16 and above is probably OK. Um, OK. Uh, it, I classify it as sort of like urban paranormal. Uh, okay. Uh, it's not fantasy, uh, which is interesting because uh, when I was when I was growing up and I was reading a lot, I read a lot of fantasy books. I read a lot of adventure books of uh, uh, elves and knights and and. Uh, swords and dragons and all that kind of stuff and that was my bread and butter for like you know a good 15 years and then at some point i stopped reading all of that and um i still enjoy fantasy i still like uh you know the idea of a quest and and people taking a journey to to take on a a big evil i just don't know if i believe in it anymore um i gotcha and, and i think maybe you know that's just my um, being an adult and seeing the world change over the last 20 years, uh, really de- drastically change over the last 20 years and how unsafe everybody feels. And so I write a lot of, I write a lot of very dark stuff now because that's the kind of world that we live in. And, um, the guys that used to watch Power Rangers uh, when they were little, uh, whenever they talk about Power Rangers now, they're very interested in in sort of this dark, gritty, 
an almost bloody version of Power Rangers that doesn't really exist. There, there's been like a lot of fan fiction and fan films that that have been done that are really dark and gritty. And if you saw the Power Slash Rangers that um, Adi Shankar, the producer, did with Joseph Kahn, the director. Uh, that's a really dark and gritty version of Power Rangers. Is that, the, is that the last one, the 2019 one? That's no, 2017 is is the one that the the studios did. They did uh, that one, yeah. Uh, the Adi Shankar Joseph Kahn one came out, I think, a year before that. Yeah, it was uh, a, it was a short though, wasn't it? it yeah, wasn't... yeah. It's it's only like fifteen minutes long. It's not that it, long. Oh, okay. It's incredible. That. Don't get me wrong. It is incredible, but yes, it is super violent and very well, and, very you know, nice. When first, when you first watch it, you're like going, "Oh, this is really cool," and it you know it has the production values. It has the uh, yeah. Joseph Kahn is really good with the camera. There's and, some money behind uh, it, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, it was it was done really well, but it's not Power Rangers. It's right. It's a, you know, through the looking through the looking glass Power Rangers. It's very dark, yeah. uh, you know, because it, it has drug use and, and so forth and so on. And yeah, uh, I, I see. We do see a lot of that change in uh, in the uh, the TV when they when they say, "Hey, we're bringing the," you know, they're going to bring this back, and you're like, "Oh, awesome!" And all of a sudden, it is. It's everything seems to be very dark universe. It's society, though, man. I think I think it's a lot of society's uh, issues. But, but well, I mean, as as a society, we 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 get we get more sophisticated in our ability to tell stories and how we present those stories to each other. The uh, the films that I grew up watching uh, look quaint today compared to the way that films are done now. Most uh, definitely, uh, because like if if you had taken the MCU and put it, you know, back in the seventies those things would have been really cheesy and hard to watch. And um, <laughs> they are, if you go back and watch some of them, the filmmaking techniques, the way stories are told uh, audiences are their expectation level has uh, sort of like expounded and they expect a certain level of um, evil. I'm not necessarily necessarily evil, but much more believability. Yeah, they, okay. they, believability. They, I'll give you that. They they want a lot more reality with their with their fantasy films or whatever. They they want to think that uh, because that was one of the things that was very interesting about uh, Iron Man when it first came out in 2008. Um, when you look at that movie, you're like going, "Yeah, I could actually see this actually happening." If somebody actually had the the resources and the technology, they could build a suit like that, and they've done it. Yeah, you know, they've done it. the so that's the really twist on it. You know, uh, if you, you go back and you look at some of those really cheesy superhero movies from like seventies <laughs> and eighties, uh, it's all green screen. It all it's all so fake. Uh, even though I love Flash Gordon to death, I think it's one oh. of, you know my favorite films of all time. You know, you look at it and you're like, this is not real. It's it's yeah. It's a, a cartoon come to life and but you look at uh uh the stuff that's come out since like 2008 and it's all very real it's all very believable it could take place at any time and 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 you can see that reflected in real life as well because uh parkour parkour the the uh, ability to you know move across a space efficiently and as quickly as possible that's street level superhero stuff. And 
the longer that you see people do that, the, the longer you see people push their bodies, um, the more that's possible, the more that's mm -hmm. going to happen. And, you know, I keep wondering, you know, every day, you know, why don't we see one of these guys in a suit on the news, you know, taking care of business? But yeah, they made that movie. It was called Kick Ass. Yeah, they did, they did Kick Ass, and he also did one called Super. If you haven't seen that one, yeah, right? yeah, 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 Super is, is that was Super was a messed up movie though. I, oh, yeah. I, I mean, I enjoyed it, but it was it was it was hard and to that, watch. See, that's 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 another part of the dark aspect of of what you're going into because yeah. since like, since Tim Burton's Batman. Uh, Anytime you talk about Batman, it's always about the split personality. It's always about the mental issues uh, sure. and right. the psychological, psychic. You know, why do these people do these things? Why? Why is it? Uh, why is it okay for somebody to put on all that stuff and then run around and beat people up? Uh, well, I, I really do miss the quaintness and the, 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 the when when you mentioned uh, the older movies were like comic books come to life. Yeah. I think that. At that time, that's what – it wasn't just – it was more of a, a way of getting people into it. It was like, oh, I've read the comic. Oh, I get it. Yeah, I can see it now. It's like watching the comic and it was, live. And it was mostly like good-heartedness in those things too. I mean yeah, they had the bad guys and this and that. But, you know, like I mean look at the Batman TV show with the villains. that They were all silly goofballs. And then you go back and look at – and then you go into even with the Tim Burton movies, the the villains weren't as you know bad as they are in like The Dark Knight Rises and you know those. Go, go uh, back, go back and watch uh, Batman Returns with uh, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer and Danny DeVito, and and look at it with fresh eyes, and you'll see, wow, this is a really dark movie. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, don't, don't get me wrong, I, I understand, especially when you know the, I mean, what is it that Paul Rubens, Pee Wee Herman throws the baby in the damn ditch? Oh, yeah. You know, I mean. But but still, there was that aspect of it being a little bit more campy, comic book, yeah, a little bit more cartoon because the characters oh, yeah. looked. I mean, the penguin looked like the penguin was supposed to. Yeah, not and, like the penguin in Gotham. Right, I right. Mean, that's that's when you really start to see things start to change as as far as uh, stories, how stories are told in film, uh, because up until like the mid '80s, film a lot of films were still shot the same way they were shot in the 30s and 40s, which was like, we're going to film a stage play and there are over the camera, there are over the shoulder shots, there are straight on shots, there are two shots. It, it's all very static. The camera stays very still. But as you move through the late 80s and through the 90s, you start to see the camera starting to become much more of a participant mm -hmm. in the storytelling. And that changes how, how scripts are written. That that changes how uh, actors' performances are done. It you know it's it's all grown up, and that's that's where we are today. With the audiences are expecting their stories to be grown up. They they yeah. want a certain level of, I can believe this. You know. Now when, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Wayne. Oh, I was gonna say, I was gonna say, you know I, I find that it it started. I'm, I'm sure I'm wrong. It probably started prior to this, but I, I've when I was watching shows like Firefly and. Um, uh, the new version of, uh, what is it, Battlestar Galactica? Yeah. And they did those camera flares and things that they were doing with the cameras that were different from most other shows. Mm -hmm. uh, I find that it started to really amp up what they did in movie, you know, in films. Sure. Uh, once, once those guys started doing that kind of stuff, like it almost feels like 
um, like the camera's always moving, you know, uh, Blair Witch kind of constant movement, but not like that. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's I'm weird. Person ask, yeah. I'm really interested to see what, you know, what, what the filmmaking or film, uh, watching experience is going to be like in 10, 15, 20 years. Yeah. Uh, and how much VR is going to influence that. And are, are you actually going to be inside the movie? Uh, so that, you know, if you go watch Blade Runner 2049, are you actually walking around inside Kay's apartment? And, wow. And, you know, that's <laughs> going to be very interesting to see how that's done. So. Now, do you, and going back to your writing, and, and we've been talking about movies, when when you're visualizing, uh, writing these stories down, do you see them in your head like a movie? Or I, is it more, you do? Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I have a tendency, and, and I think maybe it's not necessarily the best tendency, but... Uh, I, I write very cinematically. I, I write what I would like to see. And uh, I try to describe things in a very sort of cinematic way. I try to paint a picture that people can actually see. And uh, so, yes, uh, you, the answer to your question is very much so, yes. I think I think that's a – see, that's the way – because I've been writing a book for quite a while now. <laughs> and uh, that's, that's how I do it. I, I, I kind of see it like a – like a movie, but a lot of times the translation from my head to paper, that's the reason why it takes me forever. Um, I mean, because, oh. because my book is very long at this point and I really have to condense it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Writing, writing it's, is, it's, it's a very tough job. I mean, it's, it's a very solitary job. You're doing it all by yourself. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, any writer will tell you, you know, the agony of sitting in front of a screen and trying to think of the right word to describe this motion or this emotion or, you know, it has to be the right word. And if it's not the right word, it, ru- it ruins it. Yeah, you can't move forward. And, uh, you know, I've I've learned over time that the best thing to do is just to puke it all out and then uh, go back and and rework it and and, you know go through the second edition, third edition and, and really hone it down. But, uh, it's oh, taken trust me, you know, I'm puking it out. Yeah. I mean, it's taken <laughs> me a really long time to learn not to edit as I write <laughs> that, that I, I have to just write sentences and get through it and then go back and fix it. And Neil Gaiman, uh, who's an amazing author and yes, and some amazing stuff. His his thing is like, you know, you, the first draft is basically uh, it's there for you to say, OK, this is what the story is. And then the second draft is when you go back and try to convince everybody that you knew what you were doing all along. <laughs> 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 that, that's how I try to look at it. So. That's well, this sounds funny, like man. it's going to be this is an amazing book. I'm, I'm anxious to, to get my hands on it. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Uh, do you have any uh, uh, I mean. Since we were talking movies, I mean, is is this something that maybe later on down the road you would want to maybe, if you had the option, to opt to to, to put it into film? I'd hope I hope so. It sounds I, I good. I would love for I would love to get it in the hands of the right person who would love to option it. That uh, my one of my friends uh, is actually the special effects coordinator on the TV show The Magicians, and I oh nice uh, love that show. Yeah, uh, I gave him a copy of it, and he really liked it, and he is trying to pass it around to people that might read it. So. My hope is that it gets in front of the right eyes and, and they see the potential of it. And 
because when I gave it to him, you know, my my idea was like, oh, I'd love to see this as a movie. And he goes, no, 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 this is a series. I saw this 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 book as a series, like an eight an eight episode series. And I was like, oh, really? And he goes, yeah, yeah. So I mean, that's the sort of uh, networking that that needs to happen in in order for something. Oh yeah, uh, an independent book like this to sort of like, uh, it's not like Stephen King who can just, you know write something amazing on a napkin and it becomes a <laughs> I mean go hey uh, HBO look I got this thing I've been it's been in my closet for like six years but yeah. you might get you want to try to you can use this this will be all right I, I was on the crapper and had an idea oh I was on the crapper it was called it was called something else but I think we'll just stick with it yeah <laughs> uh, that's it <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I mean I mean He's an amazing individual as far as like how prolific, how much stuff he just pumps out is just amazing. It, it blows he's, me away. He, like I sat down and started reading the uh, the Outsiders. My wife bought it for me, the, and it's an incredible book. I haven't watched the TV show because I didn't know it was a TV show until like recently. And uh, yeah, the Outsiders. If you get a chance, read that book. It's it's yeah, really good. He he has such an amazing ability to to write these characters that. Um, just pull you right in and you follow they're, them. They're you know. believable, you know? Yeah. He, he is the Nora Roberts of suspense. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, uh, do you have any, do you have any, like, conventions you're going to in the next, uh, after the evacuations and all that stuff is done? <laughs> well, we had, I uh, had two events lined up, but of course they canceled because of uh, the quarantine kind of stuff. So, as far as I know, I don't have anything lined up until June or July, so I'm okay. just kind of stuck at home and um, or trying to books. use. Oh yeah, trying to use the time as as creatively as possible. Plus, you know, I, I play a lot of Red Dead Redemption, so I'm I'm doing really. That. What what system are you playing it on? Are you on specifically uh, PC? Play uh, PlayStation Four. Yeah. Man, uh, man, all these people that y'all y'all break my heart with this PlayStation thing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we're, we're Xbox guys, man. Uh, well, I, I specifically bought the PlayStation because uh, I wanted to play uh, Red Dead Redemption 2 online. And because um, I, I bought it and uh, Mike Jin, who was the Gold Ranger in I forget what season, and Christopher Kamen Lee, who was Andros, who, who ended up killing Zordon. Uh, <laughs> we, we all run around in Red Dead Redemption together. And, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. so It's, it, it's it, such an amazing game, isn't it? It's beautiful. I loved it. <laughs> beautifully the art is amazing yeah i mean considering the games and stuff that i was working on in the uh uh, late 90s and and early 2000s i mean it's leaps and bounds beyond everything that we ever worked on i I always wanted to i wish my dad was still around so like when because he was into doing the the computer games that were um it was basically all words you know what i mean like Yeah, and like choose your own adventure kind of thing, and he would like draw like Zork. Yeah, but he would draw his own maps and stuff, like as yeah. as he's playing. Yeah, he and... played the, he played the muds and and all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, oh, just wish you know he was still here so I can show him like what. Look at this, <laughs> you know, like this looks like real people were playing, man. You know, like he would he would go absolutely crazy, especially like doing stuff like uh, like I knew my dad and he would he got stuck on like Warcraft. He'd have been one of those guys wearing a diaper. 
Well, see, that's the thing that, that really appeals to me about Red Dead is that it's a massively multiplayer game, but not really. I yeah. mean, I love, I love Warcraft, I loved EverQuest, uh, uh, Skyrim, any of these worlds that are just these big, giant, open sandboxes. I love that. Just being yeah. able to explore and go wherever I want to. And uh, I had a friend uh, <laughs> who, uh, the, he played Warcraft, and all he wanted to do was get his druid to level 10 so that he could transform into a bear, climb up to the highest mountain, and sit there and watch the sunset. That's all he wanted to do. <laughs> that was awesome. That was awesome. <laughs> it's, it's, we all have mini goals. That's so good. Oh, shit. Yeah. How, how much time I took off of work just so I could, like, I don't feel good today. I need to I need to get my, my, my undead warrior up, you know. I was like, oh my god, I'm turning into that guy. Well, hell, dude, my my wife is 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 um like she's been talking about this damn game for the last month. Okay, Animal Crossing. I don't know the fuck that uh-huh. is. I, you know, I have no idea what Animal Crossing is. It's some Nintendo game. I don't know. Um, so she got it a couple of days ago, right? Because of course she got the digital mm-hmm. download one, so she didn't have to go to the store. You know, so that's cool, right. smart idea. And, um, so now she's been playing it for the last four days. Like, and she's like, I built the island already. I got this. I got this. I was like, Jesus Christ, man. Did you sleep at all? No. (laughs) (laughs) That's the one thing about gaming, man. It's, it's either immerse yourself in it or don't do it. Well, I mean, it's like when, when, when the new Gears of War stuff comes out, she knows better than to bother me. Cause like, I'll go in the room. And I will play that game until I beat it because I don't want no distractions. I don't want anybody to tell me what happened in the story. I just, I love the storylines, you know? I, and that's one of my favorite things about that game. It's it's amazing how much video games uh, uh, feed our love of stories. Because, you yes. know, when you, run around, when you run around in these massively multiplayer games, uh, you don't really... Uh, <clears throat> at least in my experience, you don't really read the text of all the quest assignments. You just go, okay, I've got to go get five apples or, or whatever. Yeah. But right. it's, it's your story of running and what you did to go get those five apples. That is, you know, it's a, there's a hundred different ways, a million different ways you can go get those five apples. And that's your individual story. Yeah. And I sure. think that's, that's the addiction. That's, that's the thing that sucks people in. It's like, this is my story. It's, it's, it's my journey, and we it's my love my character. That. Yeah. yeah, and it, same it's... with Dungeons and Dragons, though, man. Like when you built your character from scratch. Oh yeah. And you worked his, oh, yeah. you know, you worked up the the levels, and you know, all your sure. friends are trying to, you know, get your stuff, and you're building it up through all these. <laughs> I, I I tell you, man, I I I played World of Warcraft, and I was like, man, I really wish the real world was like this, because if I saw somebody with an ex- exclamation point over their head, I would run over them in a heartbeat. <laughs> Dude, what do you need me to do? And do I get money for that? Dude, I am successful in the world. Pow. I mean, it's... Who needs it's help? A, yeah, I mean, if I ever had, like, a company, I would make sure that, you know, everybody had, like, an exclamation point over their head. Like, oh, what do you need so me to do? Five you times? Sound like, you, you sound like you play a very lawful good character in most of your games. You know, uh, <laughs> this, this really kind of rubs me the wrong way because... Uh, when I was playing D and D, and I was, you know, you know, writing stories and being a dungeon master, you know, whenever I would play my character, 
my, my friend who was the DM is like, you really are a paladin. You know that, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hate paladins. Stop oh, it. Nobody don't, wants to be the paladin. I don't want to be him. And just heal everybody. You're like, shit. <laughs> I want to do some damage. Can I, like, why, why can't I? And then everybody yells at you. Why, why do I always have to be lumped as lawful good? Because I, you know, I, I try to help people. It's like, oh, well, you know, can't I personally go, well, that's not what I'm going to do. And I, I think that's one of the reasons why I play Red Dread Redemption, because that way I can shoot people in the face. That's right. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> See, I'm now, right? man, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta try to get a uh, an online game guy, man, like a, a Dungeons and Dragons online game with a bunch of people. Like, I think that'd be really fun. Uh, you know, I haven't played in a long time, and now they're saying that since we're getting all this lockdown stuff going on, that there's a uh, uh, a way to do it now. I posted it on our Facebook page. Um, yeah, if you if you go to Roll Twenty, Roll Twenty has like this amazing set. Uh, it's a website with all these web tools, and you can you know build a dungeon and take people on adventures. And it, I it's, think it's great. It's paired up with Spotify and Discord, so you can actually talk to people in in real time. Oh, man, it's really really cool. Man, let's. Check it out. I think we need to set that up. I, if we if we <laughs> set that up, I'm gonna invite you. So don't don't. Don't think I'm not going to, man. Okay. Right. I think I think it'll be fun. I really do. I think it'll be something interesting to do. MHOG presents. Well, uh, here's an interesting thing. Uh, uh, if you know, in, in your, uh, Power Rangers and Dungeons and Dragons, uh, there was a, a show, a live action show that was happening uh, on Twitch uh, called Hyperforce, and it was a new version of a new team of Power Rangers that was. Uh, jumping through time and helping other Power Rangers and stuff, and that was all live action. And they had um, guest stars from the show. They had Paul Schreier who played Bulk. They had Karen Ashley who played the Yellow Ranger, a uh, second Yellow Ranger, Aisha. They had uh, uh, JDF, uh, Jason right. David Frank, uh, the the Green Ranger, yeah. and uh, they incorporated some of the the Boom Comics uh, storyline from nice. into it. Uh, but it was all basic Dungeons and Dragons rules. You know, they would roll dice to see if they hit and if they made a success and stuff. It was very, very cool. And I, I was hoping to be a part of it. But because I live in Texas and they live in California, uh, the logistics of it didn't quite work out because right. um, they were going to have Zordon there in the last episode. And I was going to make a surprise appearance, but it didn't work out. But hopefully if, you know, if, if Hasbro likes the, you know, uh, wants to bring it back uh, that would be another way for people to actually experience not only power rangers but also uh interactive storytelling in D. &D. that's so. freaking cool yeah that'd be really good i didn't know i didn't know that at all yeah well, that's that's amazing well it's going to give us something to work on wayne for definitely for yeah uh, i really things. think i think we've been talking about doing a uh mhog game thing and we were going to do it at the end of this month but since we can't do it in-house because you know they say you got to be locked away so uh this would be a good idea to really hammer it out and try to do it online i think it'd be kind of fun yeah. it would be fun i got i wish they come up with an online version of munchkin because <laughs> i love munchkin yeah i because i got boxes and boxes of that shit and I don't, i've never played it before somebody left <laughs> somebody left it at my house Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it wasn't you. It wasn't you. It was funny. It's like they, they left a bunch of boxes of Munchkin, and I'm going, I don't even know the rules of this game, but I got 50 freaking starter packs here. <laughs> well, anyway, this is great. Well, this has been a great interview. Yeah, man, it's, it's been, been really, really nice. fun. Thanks for having me on. Well, we appreciate it. Now, I, if, if you don't mind, 
uh, tell everybody out there who's listening right now all your URLs and and everything you've got, and uh, so we can we can let everybody know because this is amazing. This is Captain Awesome, also known <laughs> as Awesome. He's going to tell you his info. <laughs> uh, you can find me on Twitter at David J Fielding. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at DJ Fielding underscore Zordon. And if you do a search on Facebook for Zordon, my my Facebook page for Zordon should come up. <clears throat> uh so that's all my social media stuff um uh where can they get your book uh the book is right now is is hosted on uh barnes and noble uh hopefully it will be on amazon soon uh i'll i'll post the link to you guys so you can like put it in the description so whenever you post the podcast it will pop up oh great Uh, terrific and uh i would love for as many people as possible to read it and to give me feedback and let me know if they liked it or hated it or or whatever so um uh yeah that's it fantastic awesome so yeah all right so thank you for coming on david we really appreciated you you know doing our show man i i, I taking really the did. time you know taking your time out and my my pleasure it was it was an awesome time you guys are uh great to talk to you so thanks, thanks for man. thanks for having me on thanks we appreciate it um so all right ladies and gentlemen i was your host wayne i'm the rum guy and that was Zordon himself, Mr. David Fielding. And remember, ladies and gentlemen, to keep it, keep it, keep it. Metal! Adieu, adieu, parting is such sweet sounds. Go ahead and run. Run home and cry to mama. Get the fuck out. Okay, then. That's it.